Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Welcome back. I am Chris Shandro, the pastor at Compass. As always, I am just thrilled to have you with me today. Now, you might be like me. I was a child of the 80s. And when I was a kid in the 80s, my mom used to take me to get my hair cut at Regis. It was a hair salon that was inside the mall. Now, if you're under 20, yes, people used to go to the mall for things. And yes, I used to have hair. I wasn't always bald. In fact, I was super picky about how my hair looked. I mean, I was so vain. I always needed the perfect gel and the right kind of hairbrush or else I was literally gonna have a bad day. I always felt really self-conscious if I didn't think that my hair looked absolutely like Johnny Depp 21 Jump Street perfect. And if you've ever been a young boy who got his hair cut at a salon in the 80s, you know what always happened at the end of a haircut. They styled it. They would get out the hair dryer and the hairspray and they would poof and print my hair up until I looked less like a cool seventh grade boy and more like a little girl going to get glamour shots. And I never said anything because I didn't want to be rude or mean to the hairdresser. But every time I got my hair cut, I mean literally every time, while my mom was paying the bill, I would briskly walk over to the bathrooms across the hall I would stick my head under the running water of the sink, soak my hair down so I could just deflate it, and then I would fix my hair the way that I thought looked right. Thing is, the haircuts themselves were always fine, but the loose end of styling it correctly always had to be addressed. Now, we've been in a message series called Uncertainty, and it's been a walk through Matthew chapter 11. And we finished technically Matthew chapter 11 last week. The hair has all been cut. But before we move into Matthew chapter 12, there are a couple loose ends that I want to address. There's some things that came up that we weren't able to totally address. And so, in short, there's just a little bit of styling that I want to do so that everything looks just right before we move on to Matthew 12. And so to do that, I want to jump back into something that Jesus said in Matthew 11, 25 through 26. And he said this, At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, Thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. So throughout this entire chapter of Matthew 11, Jesus has been been dealing with both the religious certainty and some of the spiritual doubts of the people in Capernaum and in the surrounding area, which was the town and the region that was his base of operations for his entire ministry. There were people who were questioning how he did things. I mean, he didn't act like the Pharisees and other religious leaders did. He didn't fast and deny himself. In fact, Jesus was often called a drunkard and a glutton because he feasted so often with people. And then there was the fact that he regularly partied with known sinners. He wasn't hanging out with well-respected righteous people, but with people who knowingly defied God's law, tax collectors and prostitutes. And people were like, that's just not how ministry is done, Jesus. And they were so certain about what God's kingdom should look like that many of them couldn't see Jesus fitting that mold. And in the middle of addressing all of these doubts, Jesus stops to thank God. He thanked God for 
hiding what he was doing from wise and super spiritual people and revealing it to people who were simple and childlike. But for a moment, let's just put aside what he thanked God for, okay? Because Jesus has raised an issue that I think has far-reaching implications for us today. And so today, we're going to talk about gratitude. Now, when we think about gratitude, we usually think of like Thanksgiving, right? Because that's the one time a year where you got to go around the table and say what you're thankful for before you can eat. Or maybe when we think about gratitude or thankfulness, maybe it's the words of a prayer that you recite every time you eat. You know, thank you for this food. Amen. But today, I don't want to talk about the casual recreational use of gratitude. I want to talk about leading a life of habitual gratitude. The Bible is full of verses about giving thanks, all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And maybe because it's mentioned so often in so many different contexts, maybe it's easy for our eyes to just kind of slip right over it without really thinking deeply about what it means. In other words, thankfulness is so often in the Bible, maybe we just don't see it anymore. I mean, for example, look at Philippians 4, 6 through 7, very familiar verse. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this is one of the most recognizable verses about the power of prayer over worry and anxiety. It talks about experiencing God's peace when we bring our needs and our fears and our worries to him. But did you notice that Paul says that God's peace comes not just when we pray, but when we pray with thanksgiving? We never talk about that, but it's right there. I mean, Paul talks about it again in Colossians 4.2. He says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. I've read this bunches of times, and it's easy to look at this and be like, Man, I need to be devoted to prayer. And when I pray, I just need not be falling asleep, but I need to like be aware of what I'm bringing to God. But Paul is calling people to prayer that is always accompanied by a thankful heart. Look at what he writes in Colossians 2, 6 through 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Again, it's easy to read this and think, man, I need to stay rooted in Jesus. I need to read my Bible. I need to pray. I need to do the things that are going to make me strong in my faith, rooted in Christ. But it's so easy for us to gloss over the final essential part of being rooted in Jesus, which is overflowing with thankfulness, just like Paul says. Sometimes we treat gratitude like we did when we were kids. You know, when someone did something nice for you, what would your mom say? I mean, she would, she would look at you and she'd say, now, what do you say? And when she said that, you knew that that meant in order to complete the transaction, you had to say, thank you. But all of this guidance on thankfulness in the Bible is not about building a habit of saying the right words at the right time, as if God's going to be mad if we don't say thank you enough. It's so much more than that. I mean, look at 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Paul writes this. He says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Gratitude in all circumstances is God's will 
for all followers of Jesus. It's, it's not just a nice thing or a thing that we should do or a thing that's gonna help us to have good relationships with people, but gratitude is God's will for our lives. And like all the things that God wills for us, it's for our good. This is not just theology or good spiritual practice. Habitual gratitude and its benefits are one area where the Bible and ancient wisdom and modern neuroscience all agree. So check this out. Over the last several years, a lot of scientific studies on the impact of gratitude have come up with some pretty surprising results. Uh, A study at Penn State had people write and deliver one letter of gratitude every week to someone that they were grateful for. And they found that the letter writers had a huge jump in overall happiness. In fact, they found that no other factor contributed to happiness as much as practicing gratitude. Incredibly, another study discovered that people didn't even have to deliver the gratitude letters in order for the effects of writing them to work. So even when the people they were grateful for had no idea because they didn't even get the letter, gratitude still had a huge positive effect. Another study showed that among people struggling with depression and anxiety, that those who wrote gratitude letters reported significantly better mental health as much as 12 weeks after this writing exercise had ended. So three months after they stopped writing letters, their mental health was still improved. Habitual gratitude reduced symptoms of depression as much as 30% in another study. Practicing gratitude on top of receiving psychological counseling has greater benefits than just counseling alone, even when the gratitude practice is relatively short, just a few weeks. This is awesome. A Harvard study found that gratitude actually unshackles us from negative and toxic emotions. Emotions like resentment or anger or envy or bitterness. Because gratitude can't exist in the same space as these toxic emotions. It makes it harder for people to sit and stew in their own negative experiences. Gratitude actually has the power to rewire your brain. People who practice gratitude in an MRI showed greater neural activity in the medial prefrontal cortex, which is a brain area that's associated with learning and decision-making. Overall, gratitude has been shown to help people feel more positive emotions. It helps people enjoy good experiences better, helps them deal with adversity, helps them build and maintain strong relationships, and it even had positive effects on physical health. People who practiced gratitude actually had to visit the doctor less for routine illness. Thankfulness is God's will because it's good for us. And it makes our lives significantly better on so many different levels. Last week, Terry told us that Jesus is kind. And why wouldn't a kind and loving God want us to experience a full and happy life? Or like Jesus called it, an abundant and eternal life. Now, I know that even as I talk about this, you might be thinking, well, I mean, this is all great for you, Chris, but I don't have much to be grateful for right now. Things kind of suck in my life and in the world, and and I don't have much to be thankful for. Let's take another look at Jesus' expression of gratitude in Matthew 11, 25, because I think we can learn something here. Again, 
At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. I know at the beginning we said, well, let's put aside what Jesus was thanking God for, but I'd like to come back to it for a second because if I'm being totally honest with you, Jesus' thankful response doesn't really make much sense. I mean, Jesus came to lead people into a new kingdom, in a new relationship with God. But the educated and the religious and the powerful, influential people of his day, they couldn't see it. Or they wouldn't see it. His message was accepted and spread primarily among the poor and marginalized. And while, I mean, honestly, this is where Jesus spent most of his energy, I can't imagine that it would have felt like a good thing that so many other people doubted and rejected him. I mean... The whole context of everything Jesus said in Matthew 11 was based on the fact that John the Baptist, Jesus' own cousin, was having significant doubts about him. And John even sent people to check up on Jesus. His own family doubted him. That's a scenario in which I wouldn't expect Jesus to be like, thank you, God, that so many people are rejecting me and and that now even John the Baptist is now on the fence. Thank you, God, that I've been doing all of these miracles to help and heal people, but still they won't accept me. Thank you for that. But while there may not have been much to thank God for here, Jesus thanked God for what he could. I mean, even though there were so many people rejecting him and his message, Jesus thanked God for the people who weren't. And even though for me, it would have been really hard to understand why God was doing things the way he was, with so many people not accepting this message, Jesus thanked his father for having a plan and doing things the way that pleased him to do it. And when even some who were closest to him were doubting him, Jesus thanked God for those who didn't doubt him. His gratitude didn't change his circumstances, It didn't even explain the reason why things were happening that way. But Jesus chose to be thankful for what he could be thankful for, even if there wasn't much in the moment. Because, and and if you get nothing out of today, I want you to get this. Gratitude may not change your circumstances, but it changes you. Terry alluded to this last week, uh, but the last few years for us have been I mean, literally the hardest of our lives. Like many of you probably have experienced, we had people leave our church and we had people leave our lives over political and doctrinal differences and they did it in ways that were just devastating for us. We had people we thought were dear friends leave us by text and email if they even reached out to us at all. We had people we loved like family, people who our our children loved and looked up to for years, people who we thought would be in our lives forever, who walked away and, and some who haven't even spoken to us since, who have blocked us and unfriended us on social media. And it has been one of the most jarring and painful experiences of our lives. And I say all this because I know that so many other people have had a similar experience over the last few years. And unsurprisingly, I have not found myself praying, thank you, God, for all those people who left our church and who left our our lives. 
Thank you for all those people who walked away from us and left us questioning whether or not real or loving relationships can even exist at all in the church. Because that's where we were and that's how it felt. But even though the hurt of people leaving in anger or disappointment or apathy was so overwhelming, there were people who stayed. We were so thankful for their love and encouragement. There were people God brought back into our lives from the past, and we were so grateful for relationships that showed they transcended time and transcended the temporary conflicts of the moment. There were new friends that God brought into our lives, and we thanked God for this precious, new, diverse, and complicated community that he was putting together in the wake of so much personal destruction. And there was a new church that he was building over the ashes of the old one, a church more in the image of Christ. And the more I practiced gratitude, I discovered that I was even grateful for the people who left us. I was grateful for the season of impact they had in our lives. I was grateful for what they'd meant to us. I could even find that I was grateful in the hope that, that God was leading them to something that was better for them even than what they shared with us. And, and our story, it, it, this is all so messy. And it's, it's got all kinds of loose ends that don't look or feel right. And I know your story may be exactly the same, like a haircut that still just doesn't look quite right. And that's okay. Because even though gratitude may not change your circumstances, it changes you. And no matter how small or seemingly insignificant it may seem, there is something in your life to be grateful for. So, as I close, let me give you a really practical step that you can start this week to begin building habitual gratitude. And, and this is what I want you to do. When you pray, every day, I encourage you to pray what I call the three threes, okay? So first, I want you to tell God about three moments that you're thankful for. Situations or events that happened in your day. And these moments can be small or large. I mean, maybe someone said your hair looked good. Uh, or the, you know, the cop that you passed didn't stop you when you were going over the speed limit. Okay, so first, thank God for three moments that you're grateful for. Second, I want you to thank God for three people that you're grateful for. And, and there's no limit on this. I mean, they could be family or friends. It could be a musician whose music you really enjoy. I just want you to thank God for three people you're grateful for. And then third, I want you to thank God for three things that he's blessed you with. Could be your house, your car, a pair of shoes you love. I mean, just this week, I've thanked God for my mattress, my old hot tub, and my dog. There's no right or wrong thing. It's just gratitude. And as we practice this every day, my prayer is that you begin to not only see benefits to your happiness and your mental health, but that you are changed in your spirit as you begin to see the presence of God tangibly moving and active in your life as you begin to recognize the things that God has done for you. And as you thank God for these things, however small they may be, that gratitude may not change your circumstances. There may be plenty of things still in your life that are hard and that are difficult and that are challenging, that cause you to have a lot of doubt and uncertainty. But I promise you this, when you begin to approach what God has done for you with a heart of gratitude, 
you will begin to see things in your life change. You'll begin to see your perspective change. You'll begin to see your relationships change. You'll begin to see your mindset change. So let's begin a habit of gratitude and trust God to transform us in every way. I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.